So, Lord God, we desire to sing your glory this morning uh, with the sermon, with the prayers, with the songs, with everything that we have and everything we are. And we pray, Lord God, that the song would never stop. I pray, Lord God, that we would sing your glory and we would love you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and all of our strength. And Lord God, I pray for our minds this morning because we're in the, we're like 10 sermons into Ecclesiastes. And Father, the book is a bit mind-boggling to me. So I need to love you with all my mind. And I pray that you would help us love you with all of, whatever mind we got, Lord God, I pray you'd help us to love you with it. And that, Lord, through your spirit, you would connect the dots. And we thank you that you have already told us how they connect. They all connect in Jesus, whom we wrapped in swathing clothes and placed in a manger. (sighs) Amen. This past week, uh, Kimberly shared this video with me. (laughs) I'm alive! I'm alive! Yeah? Yeah! Oh, yeah! Hey, Christine! You're here too! I love you! I know! Dad! What's happening? Honey, the power works! It's coming! It goes on and off! Whatever we want! (laughs) We've got clean water! Oh, that's great! Look at that! Ooh. I bet I know what this does. Bring down the glorious water. <laughs> Shoes. Oh, what do we got here, guys? Food. Mm. I love food. I'm 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 food. The what? Jack, be careful! Ooh, I have a car! Did you guys see this? Yeah, you have a car! Oh, a car! <laughs> and don't forget your coffee! You're the best. Isn't that great? It reminds me of what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 24. Remember? He wrote this. There is nothing better, more good for a person, ha-adam, the man. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment, literally see the good in all his toil. Ten sermons ago, we preached on Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And you remember chapter 2 begins with verse 1, where Solomon says this. Come, let me test you with pleasure. He says this in his heart, to his heart. Uh, Also translated joy, mirth. Come, let me test you with pleasure and see the good. Which is a lot like saying, let's take knowledge of the good and see if it makes us good. So Solomon set out on a journey as if climbing a ladder. And you remember I brought a ladder to the service and and climbed it. Remember on the first rung, uh, Solomon took and consumed the good in order to make himself good. He he drinks all he wants. Uh, He eats all he wants. He has sex with all the women that he wants and he finds his vanity the vanity of vanity and striving after wind and not what he wants. On the second rung, the second step, he takes knowledge of the good to make himself good. He takes wisdom, but it's like the wisdom dies when he takes it. It's vanity of vanity, striving after the wind and and not what he wants. He can't take the good without like killing the good. But then he's like surprised by the good. He can't take beauty, but he's surprised by beauty. He can't take joy, but he's surprised by joy. He can't take wisdom, but he's surprised by wisdom, as if it like rises from the dead. He can't capture the wind, but the wind, Ruach, the spirit, captures him, and his sorrow turns into joy. And then he writes... Nothing is gooder, nothing is better for Ha'adam, the man, than to eat and drink and see the good in all his toil. Nothing is better for the Adam than he should like just 
Enjoy the sandwich. Remember, we talked about that. Solomon finds joy not in what he takes, but he finds joy in what he's already been given. He finds joy not at the top of the ladder, but at the bottom where he started, which reminds me of this poem by T.S. Eliot. You probably know it. The drawing of this love and the voice of this calling. We shall not cease from exploration. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Talk to old people and they'll say things like this. Youth is wasted on the young. (laughs) If I had my knees back, I'd enjoy my knees. If I had my eyes back, I'd enjoy seeing. If I only had my life to live over, I'd, I'd enjoy it for the very first time. In Ecclesiastes 2, it's like Solomon gained the world, lost it, arrived back at the sandwich, and enjoyed it for the very first time. Enjoyed the sandwich, enjoyed the bread, enjoyed the wine. Well, that reminds me of this little Christmas video that Kimberly sent me this week. Enjoying electricity, enjoying water, enjoying shoes, enjoying toast, enjoying the coffee. Wasn't that great? Or maybe you thought it wasn't so great. I mean, to be honest, I kind of thought both. It was great if it was real. But it was kind of nauseating if it wasn't real. Like Christmas. And church. You know what I mean? There are people that will watch a video like that and then fake a video like that. Acting as if everything is wonderful and, and you're wonderful because they're desperately trying to make themselves wonderful. And it's just not all that wonderful. Religious people are notorious for pretending everything is wonderful and ignoring evil, even the evil in their own souls. But Solomon doesn't ignore evil. We're in Ecclesiastes 9 now, and Solomon has elaborated on vanity and despair and evil, and still Solomon keeps returning to this same idea. I think the idea is wisdom. Solomon asked for wisdom, and he got wisdom, and he keeps staring at wisdom, trying to describe wisdom. What is wisdom? I I once heard a professor, some I'm a seminary somewhere, say that Greek thought is linear, tends to be linear. So St. Paul will describe theology like in Romans in a linear fashion when he's sending the letter to, to Greeks. However, Hebrew thought tends to be holistic. And so it's like wisdom is a thing that Solomon is looking at and describing from all these uh, different angles, as if he's looking at theology and not explaining it, but describing what he sees. Theology, you know, is two words in Greek, theos and logos, that's God word. And we know God's word is wisdom. It's like he's looking at God's word in the flesh and describing him. He's looking at the good. He's looking at wisdom and life hanging on a tree, and he's trying to describe what he sees from all these different angles. He goes on a journey with wisdom, and then he returns to wisdom, and he knows it, or knows him for like the very first time. And now he doesn't take wisdom and kill it in order to know it. He doesn't take life and kill life, he's grateful for life and lives life. He finds wisdom in all the strangest places and it gives him joy. He doesn't ignore evil, he describes wisdom and discovers wisdom in the evil. Like you might find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a stinky manger. Well, last time we ended with Ecclesiastes 8.15. So let's keep reading. 
And I commend joy, writes Solomon. I commend pleasure or mirth, it also can be translated. I commend joy for man has nothing better. There's nothing more good than this, it literally means. There's nothing more good, nothing better under the sun, but to eat and to drink and be joyful. For this will go with him, ha'adam, in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom, and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that Ha'adam, the man, cannot find out uh, uh, the work that is done under the sun. However much man, Ha'adam, may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. But all this I laid to heart examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, the man, Ha'adam, does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of Ha'adam, the children of man, are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever, olam, for, for the age, they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Rather depressing, don't you think? Next verse. Go eat your bread with joy. Eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved of what you do. How's that for a life verse? I'm like, I want that one for my life verse. But it seems kind of dangerous, right? God has already approved of what you do? That's about exactly opposite of the way I live my life. I do in order to gain approval. I don't do because I've already been approved. I do everything in order to be, to be approved. Just about everything in order to be approved. Except maybe like, you know, eat a sandwich. I mean, I don't expect anybody to say, whoa, Peter, that was really wonderful. You ate that sandwich. I just enjoy sandwiches. I do almost everything, though, to gain approval except maybe eat a sandwich, drink some wine, party <laughs> a bit, unwrap my wife and make love to her. Next verse. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry, uh, a tobe, a good heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. That means put on your party clothes and some hair product and splash on some cologne and party. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, no favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For Ha'adam, the man, mankind, for man does not know his time. 
like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man, Ha'adam, are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Verse 10 again, listen to this. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might for there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. In the King James Version, Sheol is translated hell 31 times in the Old Testament. Grave uh, also 31 times in the Old Testament, and I think pit three times. In the Septuagint, which is the ancient Greek version of the Old Testament, Sheol is translated Hades, which is then the word that we find on Jesus' lips uh, in the Gospels in the New Testament. In, in Numbers 16, Israelites are swallowed alive down into Sheol. In the Old Testament, everyone descends into Sheol. Jonah calls the belly of the beast, the whale, Sheol. He prays to God in Sheol, which is a miracle. For there is no work or thought or wisdom or knowledge in Sheol. So how did that happen? In Psalm 22, someone descends into Sheol and before him bow all who go down to the dust. We know that Jesus is wisdom and the life and on the tree in the garden, he descended into Sheol, according to, to Peter, and preached to the spirits in prison, when Jesus cried out on the cross and surrendered his spirit in Matthew 27, do you remember what happened? The curtain in the temple ripped from the top to the bottom and the rocks were split, the graves were open and saints came out and walked around Jerusalem. There's a connection between the temple that is your soul and Sheol. Your soul can become Sheol even while you are walking around on the face of the earth. And yet Sheol is pictured as being in the depths of the earth. It's the dominion of darkness. It's the dominion of lies. It's the dominion of what is not. Sheol is a prison in space and time. The age or the ages of this world. Solomon writes Sheol to which y'all are going. Now that's discombobulating for most folks, don't you think? I mean, let's just look at what we've learned so far. Number one, all are going to Sheol. Number two, all are full of evil, verse three. He said their hearts are full of evil. Verse 11, last chapter he said man is fully set to do evil. Number three, number three <laughs> tells us that, but then he says number three, and we can't judge. We don't know if it's love or hate, wheat or tares, to use Jesus' terms. Number four, we don't know the time. Last week we saw that the king, whoever the king is, the king knows the time, but we don't know the time. Number five, 311, we read God has made past tense. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Remember that in chapter 3 we read that. God has made everything, which means he has made you beautiful in your time. Number 6 ran out of fingers, but number 6, 314 we learned that whatever God does is eternal. I think that means, the way he's using it in chapter 3, that it is not affected by time. It's always been and will always be. Beauty, goodness, and wisdom are eternal, and you are eternal. For he makes you beautiful in time. That's discombobulating. <laughs> and it's especially discombobulating for religious folks because it is so very non-transactional. I mean, it's not a contract between two parties, it's just a statement about what is. In biblical language, it's like a covenant where one party keeps both sides. There's no transaction. So wisdom is not telling us what to do in order to be approved. You see, that's the way the principalities and powers that we talked about last week, that's the way that they work. You do X, Y, and Z and we'll approve of you. Wisdom is not telling us what to do in order to be approved. Wisdom is telling us that we already are approved. <laughs> 
So go ahead and do. There's a word for that. And that word is grace. By grace you have been saved through faith, writes Paul. And this faith is not of yourselves. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. That's grace. But I've come to see that very few people, including myself, really have much faith in grace. It's utterly discombobulating. Discombobulating, yet profoundly, profoundly simple once you see it. The Bible starts with it. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created. If that's true, what could not be grace? What could be anything but absolute gift except nothing? Well, grace sounds really good, but faith in grace is terrifying. Exposing your judgments to God's judgment is terrifying. Uh, Taking the self that you think you have created before the throne of the creator is terrifying. It's terrifying because the person that you think you are will die. It's terrifying and then eternally liberating as you become who it is that you already are, the one already approved. If you don't know what I'm talking about, let's take another look at verse seven. I'm a bit terrified to preach on it and a bit terrified to trust it for fear of what you might do and what I might do. Solomon writes, go eat your bread with joy also translated pleasure or mirth. Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, a good heart, for God has already approved what you do. He does not say, eat with joy, drink with a good heart, and God will approve, God will approve of what you do, which would be a nice sermon, and I think received fairly well in in many churches. We noted several weeks ago that Paul writes, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected, nothing, if it is received with thanksgiving. That's a great message, and profoundly true, but that's not what Solomon said. Eat with joy and drink with a a good heart and God will approve of what you do. But Solomon didn't say that. He says this, eat with joy and drink with a good heart because God has already approved of what you do. (laughs) That sounds so incredibly wrong. But how could it be anything else but completely right? Everything created by God is good, wrote Paul. So what is there that God did not create? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Um, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. But not only made, sustained. Uh, He uh, upholds, Jesus upholds the universe by his word of power, writes the author of Hebrews, created through Jesus and constantly, continually sustained by Jesus, the word of God who speaks a word that sustains all things. So what's made that God didn't make? What's done that God doesn't do? We we might be thinking, how about our choices? You know, even if we do make our choices, who made and constantly upholds the chooser that makes the choices? Our choices determine what we do. In 11.5, Solomon will write this. You do not know the work, literally the doings, of God. You do not know the doings of God who makes, literally does everything. You do not know the doings of God who does everything. 
If God does everything, the only way that you could do anything is if God does it through you. As if he's the chooser and you manifest his choices. As if he's the king who reigns in your heart in such a way that you are his body, a body which manifests his will. In her famous vision, Julian of Norwich saw Jesus enthroned in the human heart, ordering all space and time, and she wrote this, I saw that there is no doer but God. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul writes this, God made Jesus our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and redemption. All things which we think that we have to do. And then he writes, therefore it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because he does everything. God is love, writes John. Paul writes, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Why? Because it is the end. It's eternal. You can't take from it. You can't add to it. But love can add you to it in time. It's no longer I who live, writes Paul, but Christ in me. Christ, and and check this out. You know, God approves of Christ. (laughs) Like a lot. Behold, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You may remember that God says that audibly from heaven as the spirit descends on Jesus. Just before Jesus is tempted by the devil and he begins his ministry. Before Jesus does anything, he hears it. And when he's tempted by the devil, Jesus replies, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The last word to proceed from the mouth of God is, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You see, Jesus knew that he was already approved. And that wisdom manifested in everything that he did. Right before he was crucified and delivered up his spirit, he said this to his disciples, I am sending the spirit. I am glorified because he will take of what is mine He will take what is mine, it says, and declare it to you. Eternal approval belongs to Christ, and the Spirit declares it to you. In Ecclesiastes 8, 7, the word that gets translated approval means deep delight. It's used of the very best sacrifices, consumed by the fire of God, which is God, who is is love himself. Well, we were saying, of course God already approves of what you do because only God does anything that's actually done. And yet, God doesn't sin. So what is sin? In 1373, Julian of Norwich had her famous five-day vision and at one point in that vision she asked God that question she writes I saw that he does all that is done and I thought what is sin and she wonders why he hadn't prevented sin then Julian writes this he answered with this assurance sin is befitting with this word sin our Lord brought to mind the whole extent of all that is not good the shameful scorn and the utter humiliation that he bore for us in this life and in his dying, and all the pains and sufferings of all his creatures, both in body and spirit, but I did not see sin. For I believe it has no sort of substance nor portion of being, nor could it be recognized were it not for the suffering which it causes. And this suffering seems to me to be something transient, passing away. For it makes us know ourselves and pray for mercy. He supports us willingly and sweetly by his words and says, but all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. What is impossible to you is not impossible to me. I shall keep my word in all things, and I shall make all things well. 
In Romans 7, Paul writes something crazy. He writes, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He's saying, I didn't do it. I don't do it, but it does it. Whatever it is or isn't. I used to think when I would read that back in high school and college and Gosh, for most of my life, I used to read that and think Paul was smoking dope. But I think maybe he has the wisdom of Solomon for what is sin. Isn't sin choosing evil? And what is evil if not the absence of the good? And what is the good? Jesus said God alone is good. The good is God who is, I am. So evil is the absence of the good, like lies are the absence of the truth, like death is the absence of the life, like darkness is the absence of the light, like I am not is the absence of I am. Sin is choosing I am not. Sin is choosing non-reality. Sin happens when a person chooses darkness, death, and life. Sin happens when I choose evil. But when I choose evil, I choose nothing. So sin is not something that is done, but something that is not done. When I choose evil, I make nothing and I call it something. When I choose evil, I make the old Adam, Adam, the old man, the false man, the shadow man, the vanity of vanities, the idol that I call me. But when I choose the good, the good is choosing me. And when I do the good, the good is doing me. The good is God and God does everything that's anything. When I do the good, the king is doing the good through me. And when I exercise good judgment, God is judging through me. Actually, God is creating me with his judgment. This is the new man that we've been talking about. The new Adam. Uh, the me that God creates so the old Adam is I am not and the new Adam is who I am now if you understood what I just said that should send shivers up and down your spine I don't really know how to explain it except to say you actually are the temple of the living God. You actually are uh, his mobile house, his sanctuary, his tabernacle. You actually are the body of Christ. You actually are the bride of the king enthroned in your heart. And I hope you remember what we said a few weeks ago. You cannot make good choices. But you will give birth to good choices in time. All your good choices can be summed up in one word, and that word is faith. Faith, trust, belief, faith in love, and God is love. Faith is the fruit of standing naked before the great bridegroom sitting on the throne in the sanctuary of your own soul and allowing him to adore you and impregnate you with his own life such that you bear the fruit that is your life and has always been your life. Jesus is the life and that's how he gives you your life. It's a communion of life. 
Jesus is your life. <laughs> and he has already been approved. If someone said, who are you? Tell me about your life. You'd probably tell them about a series of choices or, or judgments in time. We naturally think that the sum total of our judgments or our choices in time, we think that that's who we are. And so we look something like this. You see the mix of uh, God's judgments and our judgments, good choices and bad judgments? Better, maybe we look something like this. The red dots are good choices. The black dots are bad choices. Red dots are love. Black dots are not love. We desperately try to sort them out, but we can't sort them out. It's like a field of wheat and tares. Who could ever sort that out? We can't sort them out. Well, God will sort them out. Most folks think that if you have more red dots than black dots, well, then you'll be approved and get in and if you have more black dots than red dots then you won't be approved and you won't get in we try to sort them out and we try to make them more good dots red dots good choices yet if you think that you yourself have made your good choices they are not good choices but all bad choices they're bad because you're not grateful for your choices you're proud of your choices you're not grateful for your life you're proud of your life you're not grateful for love you think you created love when in fact love is creating you in other words you're self-righteous Well, the truth is that whether or not we know it, we're all a mix. Even the worst sinner can't help but like love a dog. Even the greatest saint can't help but have a little pride. So whatever the case, we, we all t tend to think that we make ourselves good. I mean, check this out. We think we make ourselves good by taking knowledge of the good and then using that knowledge of the good in order to make choices that would make us good in order that we can be accepted. Where, where did we get that idea? For some reason, we all tend to believe that we are the sum total of our choices in time. Kind of like this, okay? See, now watch, see this picture? See the dots, the choices over time that add up to who you, who you think you are. It's as if we think we're born empty of worth, then make all our choices in time, which create our worth, and if it's enough worth, then we're approved. And yet, if we think we create our worth, we're not approved. For all we have created is a lie, the false self, the shadow man, the me that I think I create. But what if I'm not the me that I think I create? What if I'm the me that God creates with his judgment? Well, God's judgment is eternal, right? Wisdom is eternal. What if life is eternal? We've read somewhere something about eternal life. What if I am created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that I would walk in them? What if I am, then I come pre-approved. Kind of like, like this, beginning and, and end. And then I'm not the sum total of my choices in time. I'm the revelation of God's eternal choice in my time. I'm like the body of Christ rising from the dead in time. Then I'm not proud of myself. I'm not proud of myself. I'm not ashamed of myself. I'm not, I'm not afraid for myself. I am not in competition with any other self because I'm not responsible for myself. I am just profoundly grateful for my fully awesome self. You know why I don't get up every morning and thank God that I'm alive and that the light switches work and there's such a thing as toast and I get to wear shoes?
See, the reason I don't eat my bread with joy and drink my wine with a merry heart is that I think I am responsible for creating me in the hopes that I might be approved. I think I'm responsible for me and I think me is responsible for creating my life and paying the electric bill and providing the toast and buying all the shoes and the coffee. I think I'm responsible for me and me is responsible for the bread and the wine. Maybe if I thought I was already approved, I wouldn't feel responsible for me but in fact grateful for me and grateful for my wife and grateful for my kids and grateful that I got to pay the electric bill, make the toast and provide the shoes. I mean, maybe I'd be grateful that I got to love because I enjoyed love, because I believed that love had always enjoyed me and always approved of me and delighted in me and longed to live his life through me, I was loved. I knew that I was loved, eternally loved. Maybe if I believe that I am my father's beloved son in whom he is well pleased, eternally pleased, it would change everything I do. And that would be my life, my eternal life revealed in my time. Eternal life revealed in my time if I believed. But how do I come to believe? How do I have faith? How do I get faith? Well, I I think we've seen this. I think we talked about this in our first lesson on Ecclesiastes. My faith does not create God's grace. But God's grace creates my faith in time. God's grace is God's judgment. And God's judgment is God's word. Remember, we discovered that God's judgment is revealed in a garden on a tree guarded by two cherubim. God's judgment is also revealed on the ark in the temple between the cherubim. God's judgment is a slaughtered lamb standing on an altar that is a throne. God's judgment is body broken and bloodshed in the temple that is you and that is me. God's judgment is Christ crucified and rising within you. I'll say it again. Faith is the fruit of standing naked before the great bridegroom, sitting on the throne in the sanctuary of your own soul and allowing him to adore you and impregnate you with his own life such that you bear the fruit that is your life and has always been your life. Faith is dying with Christ and rising with Christ. Faith is surrendering your old man. The lie that you thought was you. It's surrendering your old man and receiving the new man. Faith is hearing the word of the Father. This is my beloved son, my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. You realize that how God feels about Jesus is how God feels about you, the true you? How God sees Jesus is how God sees you. How God delights in Jesus is how God delights in you. How God approves of Jesus is how he approves of you. Jesus is glorified, said Jesus, because the Spirit takes what is his and declares it to you. You are the glory of Jesus. Who are you to condemn you? And Jesus has the eternal and absolute approval of God his Father. Oh, if he justifies us, who are you to condemn? Faith is looking in a mirror that is your father's eyes. Deuteronomy 32.10. Do you know you are the apple of his eyes? The, the word in Hebrew is ishon. It means the little man reflected in the pupil of his eye. Faith is standing in front of the mirror and saying, thank you, God, for me. And standing in front of the mirror and saying, thank you, God, for me, will reveal faith. I I think it's what Paul's talking about when he says, faith unto faith, faith in you. It will crucify the old man and reveal the new man. You see, it turns out that you cannot sincerely say, thank you for me, and mean the old man. For the old man is the man that you thought you made, and therefore the old man is the man for whom you cannot be grateful. The new man is the man you did not make. 
and for whom you can only be grateful. So if you have trouble staying in front of the mirror, like I do, looking in the mirror and saying, thank you, God, for me, it's your old man trying to hide you from your new man. You're not saying thank you that I'm better than anybody else compared. You're just saying thank you, God, for me. That's your old man hiding you from your new man, and your new man is remarkable. You live in a world ruled by Satan. Just the fact that you would smile at someone and actually mean it in this world is remarkable. Just the fact that you keep walking and you don't wake up in the morning and shoot yourself in the head with a gun is something that the angels wonder at. Just the fact that you would come to worship on a cold morning and, and worship uh, with a pastor that's not promised you, you to get rich or to get your butt into heaven or something. That's remarkable. You love him. That's remarkable. It's the new man rising in you. The new man is the man you did not make and for whom you can only be grateful and you must be grateful for the new man is Christ. And Christ in you is faith. Jesus is the author and finisher, the beginning, the beginninger and the ender of our faith. He's the king enthroned in your heart and like we said last time, and from that throne in your heart, he rules all of space and time. You see, faith not only changes the moment that you're in right now, faith changes the past and gives birth to your future. Faith applied to your past turns resentment into forgiveness. It turns black dots into red dots. Faith applied to your future turns despair into hope. Faith applied to every decision in your life turns chaos into gospel. Faith changes the meaning of every moment in your time. Faith is Christ living his life in your time, making all your moments beautiful in your time. In the words of T.S. Eliot, in faith, you will return to all your moments and you will know them for the first time. You will enjoy them for the first time. In other words, God justifies you by living his life on the stage that is your time. Eternal joy is finding Jesus in every moment of your space and time, just like those shepherds found baby Jesus lying in that manger. Your old man is the manger, and your new man is Christ. So every good decision in you is Christmas, and every good decision reveals who you truly are. And so your life is one long experience of unwrapping your true self. And when you see your true self, you will never, ever, ever be able to stop praising God for who it is that you truly and eternally are. Thank you, God, for me and my life. You know, at the start, we said that Solomon is looking at something. And the something is wisdom. And then we saw that the something is also Jesus. Well, do you see that we are now seeing that the something is also you, and the something was also him, the something was also Solomon? You know, Solomon was also named Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. Jesus is the beloved son of the Lord. Solomon was chosen son of David. Jesus is the chosen son of David. Solomon built God's stone temple, and Jesus builds God's living temple out of Solomon. Solomon married a thousand brides. Jesus marries all of all of us Solomon means prince of peace but he really wasn't all that peaceful Solomon means prince of peace but Jesus is the prince of peace so maybe God had approved of what Solomon would do choosing peace and maybe God had also approved of the times when Solomon would not do <laughs> the times he didn't choose peace 
For those times made Solomon and all Israel long for the Christ. So those times make Solomon and all Israel right now enjoy the Christ for all eternity. Those times are the manger that is now filled with Christ. This is the plan for the fullness of time, writes Paul, to unite all things in Jesus and to fill all things with him. So everything is Christmas, including the manger that you call yourself. And so wisdom took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you, take and eat. And in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. You see what this means? You're already approved. So eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Merry Christmas. He's beautiful and when you look at him you discover something and that is that he's looking at you. And there's a little man in his eye. An Ishon. A little woman in his eye. That's you. And the king is staring at you, wide-eyed and mystified at the beauty of his creation, which is you. And so I'm serious. I, I really want you to look in the mirror and say, thank you, God, for me and my choices. And I believe that when you do that, that will burn up the old man. That will expose the old man and it will reveal the new man. It may expose the old man in old places, things that you feel shame about or guilty for. Well, forgive yourself or speak forgiveness on others and the new man is born in that very spot. It may expose anxieties in the future about what's gonna happen, what's, what, what's gonna happen with my 501 or 401, whatever that thing is, K thing. What, what, God, what are you gonna do with that? And, and in that place of anxiety, the Christ will be born. You will begin to, to see Jesus. But, but look, look in the mirror and say, thank you, God, for me and my choices. Now, if you think that the point of this sermon was sin, that grace may abound, just forget it. You didn't hear anything I said, okay? But stare in the mirror and it will burn away sin and it will expose, it will expose grace and, say, and then say this, thank you God for me and that I am nobody else but you. See, Jesus has a white stone and no one knows the name on the stone except him and he gives it to you. It's his name and your name, it's a communion of life.